Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 19th of December 2022, Christmas party week. Yeah, so let's start. I'm going to go straight through the prices and then today's podcast is yet again the team because bluntly we just tried to get a guest and I don't know, the weather, the roads, everything worked against us. So you ended up with the chaps and we enjoyed a beer that was kindly given by Bob Claben, which we all drank and it's mostly good and some of you seem to like our little conversations better than having a guest anyway. So for those, it's a good one. For those who'd like to have someone interesting and intelligent on, unlucky. So right, let's start with Orsied Rape, the ever diving to the floor price of old crop rape is 450 in our view there will be a rally in spring on Aussie rape please quote me on that at a later point we've discussed it it looks pretty grim at the moment it's gone down and down and down but we believe that santa will sprinkle some magic fairy dust and there'll be something that makes the market go up and we've got no idea what it is so if it does go up it will be pure and absolute luck and we'll be right so just remember that Harvest rape is a premium to old crop rape at the moment, so it is harvest about 465, which is a consideration. Because we don't know whether it's going to be a bumper crop or not, do we? So that would be a premium plus the premium you get for oils will take you close to 500 quid, which I suspect you could argue gives you a profit. It's just not as good as what it would have been. Moving on to feed barley, we broke through the sound barrier of 200 pounds a tonne for harvest movement rape. On new crop, it harvest movement is 190. And I would say that barley at the moment is trading, or is going to trade on new crop, at about £20 under the wheat price. So if you take that to be somewhere just over £200 a tonne for November movement. Old crop feed barley, while we're at it, is about 210x. Don't see it dropping much further from there at the moment. I do think there's a few boats in a programme. So yes, I think that one still has less to go down in our opinion. You know, considering where it has been, it's a bit disappointing. Moving on, and prospects, yeah, sideways. I I don't see a big rally, well, until we get the new crop weather story that's going to save all of our optimism. Malting barley old crop. I would say that is valued somewhere around about... 260 something like that for jan feb movement maybe a bit more than that depending on grade and quality certainly if you've got any that you haven't sold yet let's have a word most popular varieties probably laureate planet those are the export varieties other than that the monsters are playing pretty cool and duty at the moment they're kind of now we've got enough well we've all heard that before and we all know it's a good quality crop and i'm sure some of them will be back later but there is nothing that is spooking them at this moment on new crop again slightly in the doldrums because the feed prices dropped so much the kind of premiums over futures contracts aren't looking quite as well, they're not getting booked because they, they feel like they're too low a little bit So maybe we're going to get to a place where people are more comfy. So to give you 
a perspective. Spring barley, low nitrogen distilling varieties, harvest value is about 250. Now, that's a good price historically, but obviously it was trading at 300 a while ago, and 50 pounds a tonne is rather disappointing. It is above cost of production if you confidently can predict that you're going to produce that sort of spec. So maybe we've got to get used to the fact that it has come off a bit, and it seems that either apathy or the fact that the grain is coming out of the Ukraine isn't so relevant. My own instinct is I think there will be a market opportunities in the new year with weather markets on top of the fact that the Ukraine is not going to produce as many tonnes. We're kind of running with a weight round our leg. If you take the Ukraine as something that's an important supplier on world markets, they're clearly not going to produce what they normally used to, and therefore the rest of the world has to run harder. And if you look at weather forecasts at the moment and weather events at the moment, there are extremes occurring. I think we'd be naive to say that the weather events are not going to be more profound as we come into next year. So when the algorithms get all of that information and they go, heat wave, we better buy it. Well, they'll all read the same thing and then it'll break a line on a chart and the algorithms will see that and off she goes. And then there's the odd human being who's taken a gut instinct saying, I think it's going to go up some point later anyway. In between now and that moment, I think there's only one direction for cereals to go and that's down or sideways to down at the very best. It, it seems to have come down a long way and the consumers are, are not interested a farmer's not interested, but I do think post-Christmas, one or two farmers do get interested and do sell. So historically, Jan stroke early Feb can be the bottom of the market. So it is going to drift further, I think, guys. That's my instinct on it. But I've got no concrete evidence to say that's true. It just feels like it's my big fat belly. A new crop malting barley, so 250 for the best spring, spring barley varieties. And probably winter barley is about £10 less than that. Yeah. I don't think much is going to happen between now and the new year on that. Feed wheat. Old crop feed wheat is worth, for January, 227x farm. It is very hard to sell. If someone has not got a home for it to go to, they are going to struggle. The only places available who are buying are the ports of Yarmouth and Ipswich in our area, which is really useful. Thank goodness they are there because there are consumers rolling wheat from month to month because of the bird flu and the lack of usage. This cold snap might have helped a bit, but largely it is a problem and no one wants to commit too many tons to go to a port because you end up with lots of tonnage moving on one day you're kind of stuck you can get fixings that don't suit or are just about impossible to meet although i will say in the last month we've had a very good experience at yarmouth in particular where they have been very very fair on delivery instructions which has been really really helpful certainly encourages us to do more tonnage down there and the prospect if you're looking at may price it's probably about it's only about 231 it's only about a pound a month carry so technically that's not worth doing from a finance perspective and if you're a store member x store tonnage would be 237x for may so it is yeah it sounds kind of okay but yeah anything less than where it was is a disappointment but let's all remember that it is well above the cost of production Moving on to new crop, currently feed wheat new crop 207 delivered store for immediate harvest movement and £200 X, which is generous. November X farm 212. I think, yeah, I can't see anything positive this side of the middle of Jan. I mean, sometimes the Christmas week can be very thin in volume and people actually participating and it can get manipulated because the market trades any working day in that period so the three days between christmas and the new year quite often has a few trades going on that are a little bit obscure either too high or too low don't read too much into that the reality will kick in in the new year and we'll go ah right that was a bit silly here we go again at the proper price so if it goes up a tenner sell it 
Right, so with that, I'm just going to reflect one small thing which I forgot to talk about in the following chat that we had, because it got a bit silly. It is Christmas party week, and I have a reflection here for people, certainly for the grain trade perspective, you know, how tight is your employer? How many of you want to go to the Christmas party or whatever it is that they've arranged? And does Ebenezer Scrooge keep you there till 5.30 on the Friday night? That's the other one. But is it a measure of how good your team is or how happy your team is or how big your company is? Because size isn't everything when it comes to fun because there's so many people. There's always someone who's slightly offended, isn't there? So should you, if you don't feel like going after cash or a certain amount of cash, saying, here you go, go and be miserable somewhere else. Or two, should you go on a pub crawl and a meal? You know, or should you have the option of this? Some of you want to go on a pub crawl and a meal you know, like a McDonald's or something very, because you've drunk too many beers. But if you're young, it's kind of like, let's have a bit of life in our Christmas party and don't wear your company logo on your top because if you do something stupid, we don't know you. Or do you want to have a sit-down lunch, you know, and we'll go and be very grown up and have two glasses of water and go, cheers, everybody, happy Christmas, can't wait to get away. Or do you end up with a warm Prosecco and a sausage roll and a speech from the boss that you don't really want to hear? It is one of those really difficult things from the boss's perspective, and it's a very difficult thing from the individual's perspective. It's kind of like, damned if you do and damned if you don't. As far as it goes, when you're a small business, and we were only 11 people, plus the two guys from the Granary Air, plus the three guys from the, the Granary at Cantley... So 16 of us, and the recipe is relatively straightforward. I mean, if you don't feel like drinking, you haven't got to. There are people in our team who are predominantly young or young-minded who do seem to think that's a good idea. So as far as we're concerned, we're opting for the pub crawl, then the meal thing, and each individual can take or leave that. But in my experience over the years, it was a conflict thing, and lots of farms don't necessarily have any sort of function either, but it's a funny thing, that old Christmas party. So all of you grain trade people, have a little reflection on that, and put to the boss that perhaps you should have different options for different individuals, and including the option of the doing grain style, drink too many beers, even though it's well out of vogue. Anyway, with that happy ho-ho thought, I think we've got another Christmas podcast that gets in before Christmas Day. And so with that, have a great week as you wind down to putting your feet up. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Brown & Co. are excited to introduce the scale-up phase of the Future Farming Resilience Fund. This DEFRA-funded project enables Brown & Co. to provide free, on-farm tailored support to farmers across all of England until March 2025. We have worked with hundreds of farmers over the past two years, delivering the initial phases of this project, and have widened our support offer as a result of farmer feedback. We believe the choice we offer farmers is unique, with land, planning, environmental, commercial and agribusiness divisions all under one roof. We provide professional advice across a range of disciplines delivered from our in-house teams. Whether it is finding a commercial use for a disused barn, investigating planning potential, managing business finances, working collaboratively with neighbours, optimising environmental income streams, producing a greenhouse gas footprint, or discussing your business options going forward, Brown & Co can support you on this journey. If you would like to find out more or sign up to the scheme, please email defraffr at brown-co.com or call 01480 and ask to speak to a member of the team. Okay, let's go. Excellent. We're going to start by opening a bottle of beer because here we sit, half past five, at the end of the day's work on the Thursday. Good sound effects, Ian. Yeah, we've got to do a podcast in time for early tomorrow morning to get it edited. So all my best laid plans of getting a very interesting guest has left me with Ben. 
Yeah, hello uh, everyone. Ian. Yeah. Hello, Webby. Hello. And Josh. Hello. So, yeah, I've got the crew. We're going to have a bit of a discussion because it's, I don't know where time flies with uh, everybody else, but leading up to Christmas, it seems to me that we're running round and round in circles and not getting very far forward. And although we've started by opening some beer up, and we better just tell them what the beer is first. It's very kindly donated by Bob Claiborne, the chairman of Aylsham Grain Limited. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, I wonder you, if he's reflecting this on us because it's called Bad L. Yeah, no, thank you, Bob. Yeah, very generous of you. Two farmers this year's bought us beers. As can, one, two. Can it? I comment that Bob very kindly every year religiously drops beer in for yeah, us? He does, yeah. yeah, that's why he gets he top does. price every time. <laughs> Bob gets but he's, top he's price. Very good. He drops some in for the boys at the Weybridge. Yeah, I mean he is chairman, but it's a very nice gesture, and he's yeah he does the same every year. Yeah. Exactly. But that's, you know, generosity is a thing that some people have and some people don't. So, Bob, we appreciate it. Thank you. Prosecco for everybody else, isn't it? Yeah, we do. No, it's great. OK, I've had a sip of it and it's nice, right? I can't. Oh, Andrew's no one's, glass is empty. No, no one's poured me any. Grumpy. Can I have some? Oh, yeah. Do okay. I, can you? Carry on. Yeah, it's, I, it's quite, quite a good flavour. That's really different, but it's, it's almost like don't taste of Christmas trees. <laughs> but it's good. <laughs> me, me, I was just but having a discussion right. with Webby earlier about how the fact neither of us have ever had a Christmas pint. I'm very anti Christmas beers. Mm, me too. Not the idea of Christmas beers, but the actual branded Christmas beers like Rudolph, whatever. You know, There's, it used to be a Woodford one years ago. It was really heavy. It used to go straight to the point, and it was actually quite good. I can't remember oh, called. going straight to the point. We, this is a six percenter, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, exactly. So good job we've only got one. When did you eat a Christmas tree? You just said it tastes of Christmas trees. And yeah. yeah. Well, well, are you chewing you, on Christmas trees? Well, yeah. Special? Well, there, there was a company that we're aware of that was brewing a beer Maybe, around Christmas yeah. trees. So that was Adams that had Scots pine or spruce, Something. didn't they? Yeah. But this does taste like Christmas tree. You don't know what Christmas tree tastes like, Webby. No, but you can, you can taste the sappy. I totally agree. I yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's our young taste bloods. <laughs> <laughs> It wow. does. I've it is. <laughs> I've had a sip I, I of this beer. I've, I think this, I've just got a slightly needs more to go and refined buy some, palate. Go and buy some bad elf. It's dry hop ale, bad elf, and see if it tastes of Christmas tree. As far as I'm concerned, I haven't got a, an actual thing to, to measure it against because I've never chewed on a Christmas tree. No, I've, I've managed to avoid <laughs> and that. And your favourite government warning on the back says... <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to read the government warning on the back because this is actually exported to the States and they have to spell things out to stupid Americans. So the government warning for the Americans is, one... According to the Surgeon General, women should not drink alcoholic beverages during the Christmas period because they've got to drive. <laughs> some, oh. of, some of that may have been altered. <laughs> Two, like consumption of alcohol beverages impairs your ability to trade. <laughs> now we know the, the problems. Yeah. That, some of that might have been changed as well. Don't operate a car or machinery and it may cause health problems. In fact, let's spend the rest of our life drinking but The water. good news is that we can return these bottles to the States and get five cents. So oh, yeah. Get cracking. Yeah, there is. It's California cash refund. Five cents for the bottle return. Anyway, right, with that, um, it's quite a nice beer, isn't it? It's lovely. So free and from Bob and cheers. Cheers, so, podcast long way round, drink the beer first. Let's start with a serious comment. This week's been busy through the miseries of deliveries getting rejected. Yeah, it's been tough. Yeah, some of them have been justified. Bugs, 
Yeah, there are bugs. As we mentioned it last week, we've discovered that getting that miserable phone call from a merchant or finding it even in your own store, which we have done, is a complete nightmare. Even perfect storekeepers have the problem. So there's a starting place. I don't mind that because that's real. Ergot. If ergot is found, it is ergot. It has to be kicked out. It has to be cleaned out. Carcinogenic shouldn't be in the food supply chain. Everybody agrees? It is, Anne. It's been a problem. Screenings on wheat this year with 80 kilo weights. How many people, hands up, have had rejections for screenings on wheat? Right? That is my joke rejection. I know you're looking at me thinking, oh, God, here we go. your favourite. Well, <laughs> if anyone from a particular company is really happy with life, rejecting 82 kilo weight wheat for screenings is mindless. I know what's coming next. Do you? What's coming next? You announce it. Is it broken grains? Broken hearts. <laughs> <clears throat> Broken grains, the interpretation of broken grains by some people versus other people is surprising. That's what I'll say. One company is rejecting stuff for broken grains, and it's just like not worth arguing about. It just isn't. It's like you're never going to win. Yeah, so there you go. We've had a tough week this week. We're a bit peed off with some of that. And finding replacements and getting stuff in in time and all that is just, uh, and everybody's suffering from it. And I was talking to one of the logistics guys, one of the bigger companies, and he, this last week, has had thousands of tons turned around through that some of the sites not taking out there's been lots of call-offs on deliveries and boats haven't turned up on the right day so the, the the actual haulage side of things arranging it has been with the road conditions as well a complete <coughs> nightmare and it just i don't know how anyone who does the logistics job for more than 10 years and stays alive without having a heart attack i think deserves some form of medal a bit like the nurses yeah so, yeah, it's been a rubbish week as far as we're concerned on that one. What else has gone on? Cheer me up. The market's gone up. No, it's not been, I mean, oh God, there's not been much cheery news. I mean, kind of things on the global scale. One that caught my eye was Indian wheat stocks are heavily down from where they should be. Because of their heat wave. Didn't they? They exported some early on. Then they stopped exporting quickly. Yeah. Before Russia and Ukraine kicked off, that was the story, wasn't it? India. India was the story. Oh, it was around that time. It was March, Because they were meant, it, they meant to be like 120 million tonne crop, and they end up being 105, I think yeah. it was, something like that. Yeah. The heatwave came after the invasion because they were taking advantage of the higher prices. They originally came in with some of their stocks to sell it. First time India had been seen as a seller for years. And then all of a sudden the heatwave came in and they quickly and backtracked and not so many tonnes went out. But you're saying their stocks are down? Yeah, so their stocks are well down. I mean, 10 million tonnes could well be more. Now, you know, in India... A lot of wheat is consumed. You know, it's not rice. Mm-hmm. It is wheat. Mm-hmm. And they use the wheat to keep prices down. And, you know, they're going to struggle, aren't they? Ironically, they'll probably end up buying lots of Russian wheat at fairly cheap prices. Well, certainly the price has come down since then in the world. But they are the second biggest producer behind China. Yeah. And obviously China also had a questionable crop last year. There's no clarity on that. But their economy has been sufficiently slowed down to not make such an impact, hmm. I guess. Well, also the Chinese are now, I mean, they are coming out of lockdown. But how, you know, so everyone is expecting demand to go up, but it's going to take a while for that to filter through. Was that in last week's USDA? Did they mention the Indian stock? That wasn't, that was on oh, the wires wasn't, since, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. They, they so they've got to bring that in, haven't they? Yeah. But they could easily balance that out with an increased you know, Australian crop or something, add some more tonnage in there or take some tonnage off consumption because they seem quite happy to balance the books all the time. Yeah, to keep the report fairly apolitical. That's an interesting story and one that seems to be bubbling along. Well, there was was some stuff about um, whether there was going to be some sort of deal allowing 
Russian ammonium nitrate coming out via some sort of deal with Ukraine via the port of Odessa or something. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure. I was, I was listening to another podcast. So I can't give you detail on this, but enough to say that the, the analyst said, nah, there's no way they're going to be allowing that stuff to be flowing out of a corner of the Ukraine to help mm. the Russians, to help the world, you know, to do a, a prisoner swap in return for letting this stuff go. He said he, he couldn't, those things need compressors, they need pumps, they need electricity. There is no electricity because the Russians have bombed the hell out of them. And they can't see, you know, Ukrainians suffering without any power for the Russians to be allowed to have, you know, ammonium nitrate leaving the country. So it's a, it's a bit of a non-starter <coughs> if that rumour grows anymore. As we're recording this, I've just, uh, you know, Kherson, Kherson has just been hit massively and has no power and they were exporting a lot out of there so god knows where that leaves ukraine now Mm. yeah well it's a stalinist tactic which obviously worked years ago so it boils down to starving or freezing people to uh, death doesn't it let's get more cheerful what else is happening what else can we say there seems to be no buyers of anything it's slightly concerning it's not dropping anymore but there doesn't seem to be any buyers does there no it's really bleak outlook isn't it there's no physical demand for doesn't matter what commodity we talk about whether it's obviously rape whether it's wheat your barley's yeah but, but what's stopping everybody selling the hell out of it sentiment i mean you're right but it's come down a long way and i think people are thinking do i really want to flog it at these values given where the highs have been i think everyone's realistic the highs are not going to come back again but these levels feel quite cheap and i also think i mean the war premium is not far away from being completely gone no i agree i think it is actually dangerously cheap i think that what feed barley probably touched on sub 200 pounds a ton periods which sounds crazy because that is high but it's come off a massive distance it is funny when we say these values yeah are cheap i know because yeah. they really aren't cheap there's a reality check but they actually there. are cheap according to a number of our growers the production cost of wheat for next year with the higher fertilizer prices are between 180 and 200 pounds a ton i've had someone say north of that substantially but who i'd take for their word because okay 210 two five, two, oh, one. Ish plus. Okay. Well, I would. He was factoring every single cost in, and he well, was school fees. And he's very much. Uh, yeah. So that's the point, though, isn't it? You know, at what point do you say that isn't actually a farming yeah. cost, mate? So let's take actual fixed variables, management charges, paying yourself a normal salary. <clears throat> it was also uh, on a yield around about nine ton a hectare. Okay. Which last year people did more than that. Yeah, something. Well, yeah, but if you take a national average, yeah. nine ton is not bad. Norfolk isn't national average, is it? Got no, the no, Cotswolds. Got the Cotswolds. You won't on three quarters of an inch of bloody soil that they're living down there, or whatever. I it think is. if you're saying the average is ten <coughs> ton, I think a lot of our listeners would be pissed off because they won't be ten ton. Yes, but on boys' land, on wonderful East Anglian land, yes. realistically, we had people who had twelve tons, didn't we? We did. Yeah. So we got people who were therefore clearly being able to produce it. No matter what happens in the future, they will be able to produce it cheaper than. The people who produces eight tons yeah, yeah. that's a fact yeah. so maybe the yeah. guy with eight tons an acre is going to go oh, i can't be bothered to do this anymore that's a whole separate thing it's just you know give them some money for rewilding that's all part of the debate isn't it that's where the rewilding will occur and over here prices of cereals will, yeah. will go up because there's less producers but it is quite nip and tuck for next year it has uh, over the last three weeks it's become nip and tuck so in the past if the cost of production is 200 205, 210, and the price you're being paid is 200. It has never stopped the market going lower than that. Oh, it's about it? available sellers at a point when there is buyers in the market yeah. and the need to get money in or the need to empty your store. So it isn't relevant, the actual cost of production. No, I, I remember my first two years in the trade where I had a month of buying it at a profit and then 18 months of buying it at 20 quid lots. 
I think the first ton of wheat I ever bought was two hundred eight pounds a ton. Within eighteen months, it got down. I think the cheapest I ever bought it was like one hundred and one. I know that's compared to you guys nothing, but still. As I say, well, when I first started in the grain trade in two thousand, I bought wheat at fifty five pounds a ton. For saying that as well, so nov what barley at one point was trading at what four hundred odd quid for malting barley delivered, and it's now what two hundred and sixty, two hundred. 70-ish yeah. X or something. If anyone listening to this podcast doesn't suffer from, I wish I sold everything at £300 a tonne, there's no one in this room who doesn't regret it. I mean, yeah. we sold some. We got lots of people to sell some. But we didn't sell everything, did we? We didn't sell this year. Next year, we cocked up. I think we said our biggest fear is it goes straight down and doesn't come back up again. Here, mm. here we sit. The Muppets who got it completely wrong, not completely wrong, who's got it a lot wrong. Everything we haven't sold, we've cocked up on. It's not going to go to 300 again unless we get to March the 5th and they suddenly go, yeah, this drought's going to continue and it's going to be 40 degrees in the Midwest for the next month and a half. And then, boom, every yeah. algorithm will read it. Every Tesco buyer will go, right, buy everything in against every co- product we've got. Everybody will be buying everything that go up £20 a tonne a day. Yeah. On that, actually, so I heard that some pig producers have gone and renegotiated, so they've got a slightly higher price for their meat. But now that wheat and barley's come off, and they're even, they're still not breaking even on what they are selling, they are now trying to renegotiate to make it even cheaper, so they're going into even more of a loss. Christ, yeah. Well, there's, you know, we've, we've run on about that in the past, haven't we? In the sense of we've run on about supermarkets and what they can do, and it's, yet yeah, they are much more efficient than the rest of the world, and as a small producer hasn't got a hope in hell, you just need to get in the hands of about three people producing pigs who will say no to them. And that is the same economics of, uh, it's like, it's a bit like rail strikes, really. Oh, tumbleweed. Go on. Tumbleweed. Yeah, go on. <laughs> why go on. You, why, yeah, why'd you stop? Yeah. Well, rail strikes, I can remember strikes from the 70s, and you just got sick of them. You got fed up. There's always a strike. Every year there was a strike. Strike about this, you know, Arthur Scargill would be on TV. And you'd kind of be in, in the household I was in, like, you'd be thinking, I don't like him very much. He's quite annoying. And, you know, here we were in eastern England thinking, why are they getting so agitated and why are they hitting the policemen like that? How terrible of them. And it was too unionised and we were in a muddle. Now, this time around, there's lots of public sympathy for some of the strikes. The nurses in particular, the government can pretend all they like that the nurses are being unreasonable, wanting a big pay rise right now. But this goes back to 2010 and before. In real terms, they've had a pay cut and they've cut the thing to the quick. And you can't keep cutting and cutting and cutting and expect, I think I heard someone say, on the radio today you can't expect that person to then stand up and be in a heavyweight lifting contest because there's nothing there to give the muscle so the only thing is and I also think Mick Lynch up until very recently has won every argument on TV okay I do I think he's been really articulate and clever and good however one the people arguing against him are not arguing with the right arguments if they were to highlight some of the stuff like the toilet break thing being 17 minutes because they've measured from the furthest point to the furthest toilet how long it takes to get there and back therefore you have a 17 minute toilet break it applies to everybody that's what the government should be saying I'm sorry this is nuts the bloke with the office next door to the toilet shouldn't have a 17 minute toilet break your toilet break's pretty long isn't it Ian he barely ever moves from his chair. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think the timing of it is make there was some goodwill towards it originally. I mean, t- I asked my friends, my woke friends who who don't live here, live in London. I said, look, does how much does this affect you? And half of them were like, it doesn't bother me at all. We live in Central, doesn't matter. But to other people, it probably does. To me, it doesn't matter. And I think there was a lot of goodwill towards it. But now, I think the timing of it is dreadful. He's called an own goal. The own goal is Christmas. Yeah. He's an idiot. Complete idiots and everything he's got, he's got, he thought he had everyone behind him, got a little bit too much power, and he called Christmas off like Grinch. Idiot. 
which has blown it. I'm sure he'll win some of the argument, but sympathy's gone and people will be avoiding the trains as much as they possibly can. But the dynamic of the only way people can argue is by being disruptive, is my point. So farmers, I've said this so many times before, if you want to be held by a government who isn't going to give you real-term price increases and is determined to keep prices down for consumers because it keeps them in their job. And the only way they can do that is by having a the supermarket system of cartel, if you like, making sure prices are held down with their systems so the producers don't ever actually rise their head above the parapet. Those producers are the people who are always going to be played against each other and cut to pieces. The only thing they can do in the end is go, not doing it which is a strike. And, you know, I can see, here's my industry, I can see an argument in it. It would cut up the number of tonnes coming through my business and would be very detrimental to our profit. But it is the only but the, thing. the basis of, <clears throat> or the basics, sorry, of the grain market is simple S&Ds, isn't it? Yeah. Supply and demand. Yeah. Growers don't grow it. Right. So what's the problem? Why can't they see that? It's happening with milling wheat yeah, but- because of the cost of cost of nitrogen and other countries now not being allowed to put so much nitrogen, so readily available protein. I think it's in their blood, isn't it? You can't sit there on your farm, look out your fields with all that kit and machinery and go, ooh, I'm not going to drill anything for the next two years. No, but you can say, I'm not going to grow milling wheat because it costs me too much money to grow, or I'm not going to grow malting barley because it's not worth the rejections for broken grains. Mm. Or whatever else you want to make up. The real strength a farmer has is these two words don't go um, hand in hand farmers and collaboration, but that is, you know, farmers as a whole held grain away from the market. That's where the strength is. I'm not, farmers are not naturally going to stop producing grain. They will do. No, they're not. But if they held it back and it's like, right, you're not going to have it. They've done that for the last month, haven't they? I don't know. I think the whole trade's been like, it's been really quiet on the farm and it's gone down 40 quid. It has gone down, yeah. yeah. 30 quid. But my point is not that. You know, they've already produced the stuff we're debating about. And they've already put in the ground the stuff that we're going to be debating about next year. And they've put it in the ground at a price that's definitely a profit. It's still above 210. Yes. And the guy who's saying it's costing him 210, that's that's how much it's costing me to grow, can sell it for 225. The other sad fact is that I I genuinely don't think there are a lot less farms than I think we all think that know what the actual cost is. Someone said, oh, it's £200 a tonne. I know it's really controversial. Then they'll go, yeah, and no, I think it's about that as well. They wouldn't actually tell you. Does he get his controversial side? I don't mean to that <laughs> From his mother, I think. I think that's where he gets it. Um, blessed are the peacemakers. Oh, not Cheap, sure about that, Andrew. <laughs> Hang on a minute. When's Christmas shut down? <laughs> We're having picketing in the yard here, aren't we? <laughs> <clears throat> Doing out. Yes, My point, I get your point. It is, you know, the strikers have gone on strike. There is no sympathy for them. You know, who would the farmers be striking against? At the moment, it is not. They can't reasonably strike because the cost of production is lower but the than fa- the sale price. The so they're going to make a profit. Strike. My belief is it shouldn't be the government. I don't think. I don't see how the government can benefit. It's, it's the a consumer. food strategy which encourages the supermarket and encourages multinational companies of whom we've made the odd suggestion about before, you know, who are monopolising all aspects of the agricultural industry now. I mean, yes, I've just said the UK farmer can hold grain off the market. And bluntly, though, we're a world market and we can import grain. So, you know, it's not going to be that helpful. It's not relevant. It's not... Hang on a minute. Go on. on. Well, because, you know, what did we see? We saw... Eliza Manning and Buller talking about food security rising up the agenda, haven't we? Now that is one major point. You know, if you've got the ex-head of MI5 saying, look, the next battleground is going to be food, think about that. But But, but they didn't just say that domestically. That was a global (laughs) thing, and every world economy is thinking the same thing. They have changed, haven't they? Is our government strategically thinking about food? 
a lot more than they did 12 months ago. Now, our government have said on the Elms system that, yeah, they might have something in the new year. Is that going to be straight in the new year? Oh, it might be Feb, says Miss Coffey. They didn't have to because they were complacent and relaxed about it. But the, I mean, that one event has changed the dynamic You are taking money from farmers, 20% of it this year, and you're not telling them how they can possibly replace that money. They're not giving them any... I have massive sympathy for the farming community at the moment with absolutely nothing nothing. coming out of DEFRA. DEFRA have not got a clue. What are they doing? There's no clarity. And you can't run a business without (coughs) any form of like future planning or knowing where you're going to be. Which leads on to my point. If there is no strategy and no thinking, and they can't say, oh, we've been thinking about it a lot, because they haven't, even, they, they haven't announced it. They clearly don't know what they're doing or what they intend to do in the future. And therefore, the farmer at the moment, in a cost of production, is lower than the sale price. It doesn't matter. When it matters is when it's the other way around. And that could yeah. easily happen. That's my point. And unless the farmer gets himself organised for that moment... He will just blindly plant something that will lose him money. And there'll be no government support at the time. Maybe retrospectively, they might think about doing something. Oh, oh, blimey, there's no farmers. What do we do now? There's no eggs. Oh, that must be bird flu. No, you allow the supermarkets to underpay for all the eggs. The organic egg sector. Ben, you know a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, that that is in a a state. It is in a state. And what's happened to it? Well, all the feed inputs have gone up massively because they were organic. So they've gone up even more with all the import costs of proteins. And there's been no support coming down from the supermarkets because they're like, well, you know, we're not going to worry about that sector. Hmm. So organic egg producers are being put to the knife, really. Yep. And again, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, DEFRA, what's the plan? What is the plan? Well, we get back to there is no plan, is there? Therefore, if it's clear that there isn't going to be some form of fair, structured thinking about food strategy for this country, you need to be aware that maybe the next Liz Trust that comes in and does a, a deal with some foreign country who does whatever atrocity somewhere and, and tells you what a good deal it is, having their picture taken with a local costume on, and they undermine the production costs in the UK at Tories or whoever the gov- is in government's going, aren't we clever? Look, at you've got cheap food, you know, you're, mm. you're fine, you people are fine, we've got good cheap food again, your inflation's down, thank you very much, and you bank corrupt several farmers in a different sector to the egg sector let's take the pig boys to the cleaners oh they're nearly there let's take the cereal boys to the cleaners unless the farmers can see strategically or plan or think what happens if what is my plan b there isn't clearly a profit for planting that thing what can i plant that will definitely make me a profit instead that still fits with my rotation that still fits with my forward plan etc etc there's nothing to stop the whole uk farming community planting nothing there's nothing to stop it Actually, there's no rule to say you've got to plant wheat. If they all didn't plant, which of course they will, mm. but if they did because something came along, that's my point. It's There's no coherence, no concern, no discussion, no awareness of that at government, and the farming community are not coherent enough on the cereal sector because they don't need to be because at the moment they're, in, they're still making a profit. It's strategy, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think it's the beer? I just wonder where we get to the happy point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I think our podcast has gone in reverse, yeah. hasn't it? <laughs> is it? Is it about time for something like I'm a Christmas Grinch, as you know, but like some Christmas cheer? Have we got any Christmas related stuff to talk about? We got our first Christmas tree. This is the last podcast before Christmas, isn't it? No, we got one next week. That's a depressing point. Got no, another one, but isn't that? I think this is the last one before Christmas. No, it is. No, it isn't. Oh, Christmas yes, it day is, is what oh, yes, day? It is. Sunday. 
Sunday. Yeah, that's not right. this Sunday, is it, no, Plonker? No, it's next Sunday. It's the week after. This goes out on Monday. Oh my God! It's on the Monday. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plonker. Oh. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Andrew's gonna. He's gonna. I tell you what's gonna happen now. You're gonna like Andrew this. is gonna make us do Milk. another podcast. Yeah, and boys, yeah. boys. Carry on, because I've had this conversation with the girls who edits it. It's, it's going in on Wednesday. What, next week's? Yeah, and it'll be either published early. It might be published on Boxing Day. But I think it'll be published early, so I think you're wrong. Jesus, Webby. Are we going to do this. one around our Christmas too? That'd be interesting. I thought about interviewing Santa, actually. Quite dangerous. Oh, Santa? Yeah. Who'd be a good Santa? Oh, God. Oh, hang on. I have got 100% my favourite choice of Santa. And I've I've voiced it in the office. I know you're going to say, but I don't I don't think I can say it because it, I really hope he is going to be our Santa. Yeah, well, he's featured on our podcast already. Yes, <laughs> yes, there is that. He's hilarious, <clears throat> and he's, he okay, would well, be a make a crack. We'll Santa. find us. We're going to interview Santa. I've got one really good question for Santa, which I'm going to save till next week. Yeah, don't yeah, don't do it now. Okay, so you want me to be cheerful. It's too late now. I'm missing football on Saturday to go and watch the blinkling lights get turned on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm not cheerful about that. Blinkling Hall? Yeah. Okay. Tess said she's booked it months ago. I said I bought my season ticket months ago. What's the difference? What about the World Cup, boys? Have you been enjoying that? Not being a football fan, but yeah, I've loved it. I've really enjoyed it. You're just pulling the face. It goes, no, I've, I've got, as you know, I've got Rod or Lales to watch on TV because <clears> of being in the caravan. But I really got into this workout. Josh, what do you think about the French-English game? Honestly, I thought I would have definitely let Harry Kane take every penalty for England and he missed. So I was wrong about that. But the first half was definitely a penalty. I think the referee was a bit, you know, whatever. But they did win. So I can't say much after that, really. By the way, everyone's saying their midfield's better than ours. The guy who scored that goal, the first goal for the French, that long-range effort, he cost Real Madrid 80 or 90 million this summer, and he's 21 years old. And he wouldn't normally even start for France. So, like, he's a very good player. Yeah. I think the bloke with the girly haircut of Fowling Sacker should have been booked and then sent off. Yeah, no, I do. But he didn't. So, it's done. I, I think the game was really frustrating. For me, because a number of people have been calling for the heads of Gareth Southgate, for me, I think that people have forgotten the miserable 30 to 40 years of English football where we just were a disparate bunch. You know, we, there was more importantly, the players were getting in trouble off the pitch. There's all sorts of crowd scenes, all sorts of that. Gareth Southgate's brought a whole load of overpaid, very young individuals who are incredibly diva-like and got them into a very controlled state of very professional people at a tournament. And the mindset is they were as good as France. They were, and you've got to remember, they were one of the youngest squads in the tournament. I don't think a single player in the squad was over 30. They were all young. They played incredibly well. Their final 15 minutes was awesome. It's the best football they'd played all tournament. Well, they, they were good enough. We lost, and France were better. And France apparently are playing badly, and they've got all the way to the final. They're just really good defensively, professionally. They're very, very good at all of the modern-day tricks you have to pull. Against Morocco last night in the semi-final, Morocco really nearly pulled that off. And the French started doing the old sneaky stuff just to, you know, Mbappe pretended he was fouled and did all that. With the benefit of hindsight, it seems the referees are very scared of the superstars. And much as Messi deserves to win the World Cup because he's such a megastar, there was a thing where one of the Colombian players touched him on the chest and he went down like a sack of spuds. They should be able to go back to that. And he deliberately handballed it. And because it was him, he wasn't booked. And he shouldn't be allowed to do that. No, I agree. And I just, I, just before the World Cup, I was in Abu Dhabi, which is obviously not the same as Qatar, but is, you know, 
not dissimilar. I don't think that the World Cup should have been held there because there isn't the atmosphere of a World Cup if a party atmosphere wasn't right. You know, there were no English arrests for the first time ever at a World Cup, so there's a positive. (laughs) So there is good news there. But it was just, it's a bit too clinical. You'll look back at it and I think it'll be a good one. Where was that guy that had the flare up his ass at the Euro (laughs) Championships? Ben's Exactly. Hello, Ben. I thought we were talking about football. You'd gone a little snooze there. Have you not watched it at all? Yeah, I've enjoyed it. You've bullied me into watching it. I've enjoyed it. it, I didn't, I was gaslighting. What is, what what is, I don't know really, but it's a good thing to say nowadays. Everyone goes, what's that mean? Who would you like to see win it? I personally would like to see Argentina win it. Yeah, I would. And much as I don't like the Argies for being diving, cheating little shitbags, but the French won it last time, and Bebe, whatever his name is, is is good, but he's a little bit on the side of not the angels. Not to defend him. He's 23 years old, and he just signed a new contract, which is like a million euros a week, and they let him become sporting director of a football club just so he didn't leave. So he's his own boss. Yeah, Yeah, but that doesn't make him someone that you admire and think should win it. And they compare him to Pelé all the time. The difference between him and Pelé is Pelé was a 100% sportsman. I'm old enough to remember the guy. He would pick people up. He wouldn't go around diving or rolling about. Mbappe looks for fouls, looks to con the ref, does cheaty stuff. I I think Messi's in a different category to that. There's a Ronaldo Messi debate. I think Messi's better. Once Mbappe's hamstring's gone, he's so quick. He'll go when he gets late 20s, I reckon he'll start to go, and then he won't have his he pace. He skinned Carl Walker, didn't he? And Walker's meant to be rapid. Yeah, but he's 32 compared to 23 or something. Yeah. What did Mbappe do against Carl Walker? Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Didn't do a cross, didn't do anything. Yeah, Carl Walker had him. Yeah. yeah. As far, you know, he, he kept got ran him once. once. Right? And then what yeah, happened? No, no. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. Exactly, someone took the ball off his toe instead. He was kept out of the game. They scored a very good second goal, and a yeah, first goal was, you could argue, a foul further down the pitch on Saka in the first place by the bloke with the girl's haircut. But there you go. But the the referees at least let things go, and it was a bit more fluent, so it's fine. I would like Argentina to win for Messi, because he has been a megastar, and he has got that much precocious skill. He Mm. still does cheat little largey stuff. Right, so footy, at least we watched it. Yeah, we did. Who's going to come third? I've got no idea. <laughs> well, you should do, because if you see, there's a little quick trick question. So the teams that lost the semi-finals were Morocco oh, and... Sorry. Croatia. So yeah. one of those two. Croatia. <laughs> <laughs> After seeing the Moroccans last night, I really felt for them. They were <clears throat> devastated. I'd love to see them come third. I think they will. I think the Moroccans yeah. will come third. They were good. Right, I bet you a five of Josh they don't. I yeah. Mean, but you're ten, or they do. <laughs> Righto. Is that the same thing. I'll work that one out. Anyway, and since our last podcast, Eddie Jones has been sacked as a rugby yeah. coach. What do we feel about that one? Yeah, that. Oh, we've got an inside know. man on that race, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got to be careful. What do we think about that? I don't know. It's very odd, you know, because his win ratio of all the England managers is still the highest. Mm. Yeah, you know, way higher than Clive Woodward. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh. I'm not saying anything, but Joe Bidshaw is not here next week. He's got a couple of interviews. <laughs> He'd make a great coach. No, I don't think it would do the team any harm. I mean, it would be a complete mix-up. Will he just you get I rid mean, of the favourite? What about that... the real curveball? Maybe <coughs> the odds-on favourite doesn't get it. Who is the odds-on favourite? Borthwick. Oh, Borthwick. Borthwick. Right. What's, I, not, I would love to see Scott Robertson, because I think it'd be like Southern Hemisphere flair. It'd be amazing. But I think he saved himself for the Kiwis, eventually. Okay. I think Borthwick would be amazing. I've heard amazing, really good things about him. 
Yeah, I have. I think the, my only thing, I think that the England fan has changed to being a lot of people who love to identify as being a rugby fan that aren't proper rugby fans. And they like someone who's a bit good with the media. And Steve Borthwick, I don't think, will fit the narrative they have, a rugby coach. Yeah, you're right, Josh. Yeah, He is right. That sounds very grown up. It does. Yeah, it is. I mean, let's face it, to buy a ticket now is 150 quid. And it's a certain type. There's a whole lot of people who go, who've never played rugby. Oh, we had the rugby. <laughs> and it's like, oh, we stayed down. Did you? And we went the other way on the train. <laughs> There's lots of people doing that now. Well, this will make you laugh. Obviously, I went to see England, South Africa with a few friends. Oh, did you? I didn't realise that. With a few friends, an exaggeration. I didn't think you had that many. <laughs> I had to bribe them with rugby tickets. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Anyway, so I went there. Anyway, we watched the game, and yes, it was disappointing, but we had 10 South Africans sitting behind us who were really good banter, mm-hmm. and they were. They were very funny. But talking about people who go, so then we were walking back to our car, and I watched someone in a ginormous electric Audi Q something that was like all singing like. I watched them reverse into some 400 quid Vauxhall Corsa. We were walking down the road and he tried to drive off. And these lads went, Oi, mate! And got their phones out. We've got you. And he was really angry. And he was just going to drive off because he just thought, that little car doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, you know... Yeah. It'd be good if it had some sort of, like, one of our opposition stickers in the window. Wouldn't it? <laughs> But yes, the crowd at Twickenham has changed. It's a terrible place to get to if you come from this part of the world. It's right if you live in Surrey, but otherwise... It's a bit like if you want to progress into the England squad as a school or a youth player in East Anglia, you go to various trials, you Norfolk, Suffolk, East Anglia, and you get down to the London division. It's all held in Surrey. So getting down there is an unbelievable hassle. And then it's all Surrey coaches who are making the decisions, a game being played, and this lad had a complete howler in his position. And he was picked, and there was a parent said, well, what's, what's he been picked for? And he said, well, we know what he can do. Hang on, is that the point of a trial? And it's like, those are the sorts of things, you know, it is very South London, which, as everybody knows, is not my favourite place. So <coughs> to get there is difficult. To get home is even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Unless you go up with a trick like going on the train the wrong way and driving to the far side of the M25 and hoping it isn't blocked by protesters gluing themselves. They haven't been gluing themselves this week, have they? No. I don't think they need it, would they? It's so cold. I'd love to see them there at the moment, though. In fact, if they want to do it, go stand in the motorway between Dubai and Abu Dhabi because that is a perfect place for a train or straight line they don't care they go get in their V8s go between both that's where they should be protesting next to the biggest oil refinery in the world as well but they won't will they I don't know they'll probably get their hands chopped off yeah. well, precisely never seen we're far again. too nice to them oh. <laughs> Josh the hand chopper offer is going to give the Metropolitan Police advice on how to deal with the protesters can I go home now yeah. That, have we been cheerful enough now? Have I got, have I got uh, my own football, rugby, everything's like... Yeah. The farming community is the last one before Christmas. You know, what sort of year has 2022 been? It's been stupendously brilliant. Financially, yes. In okay. terms of that's it, that's, world that's peace. It. It's been the most out there year. I don't think we'll have a year like it. Not just from the financial sense, but in terms of volatility and craziness in the market. It has been stupendously brilliant for our customer base. It's been very difficult for consumption side of the industry, for the pig sector, the egg sector, the chicken sector. There's bird flu on top of that. It's been utterly miserable for lots of people in agriculture. But the cereal sector, all of our customers have had some tonnage sold at 60, 70, 80, 90 or 100 plus above what they budgeted. As a straight cereal farmer, (laughs) yes, yeah. And the yields were good. 
yeah. and it was a dry harvest. Although it's come down, it's still above where we started. So yeah. you, you have to be positive. We've had our best ever year. Doing grain, the year-end results were going to be published soon. It's the best we've ever done. We, you know, it's been, if you judge your life by money, you're absolutely right, Ben. It's been a really good year for our sector, and there's money to be spent, and we're all feeling really financially better off. But the rest of the world doesn't feel like that, do they? And we've got to slot into that, and we've got to pick our way forward with an industry that hasn't got a clear strategy from the government to tell us what to do next. That is my biggest fear as we look beyond just a year. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. So with that, if it is the one before Christmas, which I'm hoping the one that I'm recording next week will be the Happy Christmas one, but just in case it isn't, Happy Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.